Hi everyone and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host Dr. Shadi Manicherry and today's episode is about root canal treatment. My guest today is Dr. Omar Ikram who is a specialist endodontist currently practicing in Sydney. In this episode, Dr. Ikram explains how root canal systems inside a tooth can actually become infected and the process of a root canal treatment. We also talk about the role of antibiotics in root canal therapy and why they're often unnecessary. Dr. Ikram also shares what he really thought of the Root Cause documentary. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and let's get into it. Hi, Dr. Ikram. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Very good, Shadi. Thanks for inviting me along to do the podcast. My pleasure. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got here, please? So obviously my name's Omar Ikram. I'm an endodontist in Sydney and uh, I've worked in a few places around the world. I started my career in New Zealand and then after I graduated, went to United Kingdom and worked in London for about 11 years. And then I decided once I'd graduated from King's College uh, in endodontology, I moved to Sydney and set up my own practice in uh, the North Shore of Sydney. I also work in the uh, in the dental hospital for one day a week at the moment, treating the um, waiting list, the New South Wales state waiting list, which is essentially a waiting list of NHS patients. Was there a particular moment where you realised um, endo is for you and you decided to specialise? This is a good question, but uh, it basically came about from my experience in the NHS, uh, where I worked, uh, you know, like most dentists, I guess, 20 to 30 patients a day and was having difficulty with endo and one day a friend of mine who was quite good at it uh, you see used to take me home in his uh, nice BMW and give me the, <laughs> the, the, the discussion about uh, how you just needed to spend a bit more time to make your cases better and you would go, grow from there if you took time and don't worry about you know the remuneration the things that people talk about uh, how NHS dentistry needs to be uh, done quicker and all this sort of don't worry about that stuff just try to get good cases uh, take your time. You will be slow at the start and you will sort of end up doing two or three, four visits for NHS endo. But just if you get it right, you'll get it right. And then you'll eventually get better and quicker. And sure enough, this is what happened. I was um, spending a lot of time doing cases and, and finding I was getting better results. And the challenge of it really appealed to me, actually. Endodontics uh, was challenging. I found it very stressful at dental school. And when I graduated, even more stressful without the uh, supervisors looking over my shoulder and helping me. And uh, all of a sudden, I was taking my time and, and helping people. And it was quite a good feeling to be able to help people. And then also, it fueled your crown and bridge work because, of course, then you could avoid referring everything to the endodontist. Again, in London, with the NHS system and private system with endodontists, the, the patients weren't willing to travel and also pay for private care. So I ended up doing a lot of retreatments and it really grew from there. So I think that uh, for me, the NHS was a great opportunity to gain some valuable skills, which now I use all the time. And also it was another opportunity to show, see how big practices run and how volume of patients uh, is, is managed. And also 
a variety of ways of running practices. I worked in a few places and I saw how they dealt with their patient base. And that was quite fascinating to me because over in Sydney, we don't have this volume of patients that we did in the UK. And obviously as a specialist in Adonis, we certainly don't have this volume, but um, it certainly showed me a few interesting things that we can use in private practice and have carried through in my career later. Mm-hmm. And would you say your practice um, is different at all in the UK compared to Sydney where you are now? Well, I, I think the culture of dentistry in Sydney and say the UK is very different. Uh, that's what I would say. I don't think the dentistries per se is very different, but the culture of what patients expect and what they're used to, it really affects how you treat patients because in uh, private dentistry, UK is very high in private dentistry. You have this NHS system and you have this very high end uh, private uh, sector, which basically it's like a bit like getting on a plane, isn't it? And you've requested an economy class flight versus a, a business class flight. You've essentially got the people on the same plane and everything, but the, the service and, and is, is a bit better in business class. I would say that's the way I, I can see things in the UK. It certainly was when I was there. In Australia, things are a bit more, um, I would say, not quite as stark as that because there is no NHS system. So private practices vary from very high end to medium end practices. I mean, there's still a good uh, quality of dentistry, certainly in Australia and New Zealand, where I also work. But it's not as there's nothing to compare it to unless you're eligible as a patient on the NHS. Uh, so we have um, eligible patients for NHS care. Not everyone is eligible, like in the UK. And so there's a difference there between public um, dentistry in hospitals and private practice. We have um, very different uh, patient base and very different funding and things like this. Uh, it's all very, very different the, the way that the dentistry is from that point of view. But in the UK, I found that was uh, the private practice was very high end compared to the compared to NHS practice and mixed practices. But uh, yeah, it's essentially a customer service um, based uh, mm-hmm. situation uh, found in the UK. I mean, I worked in Harley Street. I worked in local suburban practices to to be honest I really enjoyed working in the suburban practices in London and treating regular people and I I have some interesting stories where I was working in these high-end practices and patients were ringing and saying I want to see the endodontist at 7 p.m and (laughs) I see one patient of course and uh, I found that very challenging and you know I just like to treat you local people and, and and to be honest, they were like some of the best people I treated. And, and the same in Sydney, I treat uh, local people from a suburb. Uh, I'm not uh, in a, in a um, you know, glamour suburb in, in Sydney. We have plenty of glamorous suburbs in Sydney by the beach. And I'm not working in one of these. Uh, and I don't live in one of these. But it kind of, I, mean, I do get referrals from the, these places sometimes, but not, uh, I don't work there. I work in a nice family kind of area, Crow's Nest. I probably seen my things on social media in fact what's really funny is that uh some people say why have you got crow's nest written on your business card they think it's some sort of specialist endo crow's nest is like a (laughs) boat looking out of the crow's nest looking for endodontic disasters and it's like no that's an actually an area in sydney it's a sort of family it's kind of close to it's about seven seven kilometers from the cbd it's the north side of the harbour bridge and it's quite a nice little area very normal Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And would you say uh, now specialising in endo, how does the stress 
sort of compare to the stress of doing general dentistry? Is it more stressful or would you say less stressful for you? Well, actually, that's interesting. When I first started doing endo, I thought to myself, this is going to be good because, you know, it's endodontics, one tooth generally. Uh, we can do some of the treatment in one visit and some of the treatment in two or three visits. Uh, sounds quite good to me. Less patients in a day. Of course, you need to spend a lot of time doing treatment. You can't do them quickly. Uh, whether it's whether you're doing NHS or private endodontics, it's really the same. I mean, like you still have to do the right work for the right uh, the right situation. And um, so I would say, generally, work as an endodontist is it's stressful from one side of things in the fact that you're putting out a lot of fires. You're trying to help patients uh, who have often had a bad uh, experience or they've had an unfavorable outcome. Uh, with someone and you're really trying to help them but you're trying to help the referring dentist as well or even a dentist from a few years ago that may have made some error but they didn't know about it till four or five years down the track so you spend a lot of time as a communicator in, in endodontics and obviously the work is also challenging but the communication and the workload is quite is quite tough uh, general dentistry i found was tough uh to, the thing about general dentistry I found was difficult was knowing when to when to refer and, and and when things were outside of your expertise and I think that's really important. So in endo, I mean, like in all dentistry, we have to know where to draw the line with our cases and say, look, this case is not going to go ahead and it was difficult or this situation is not one I want to get into and that's and that's challenging from all aspects. But I find that found that in general dentistry that was harder because you were tackling more diverse cases. So you might be, you know, okay at endo for some cases, but for some, you know, even restorations on young kids, you might have found difficult. Uh, so you have to be able to work out where the line is in different areas of dentistry. I mean, I can draw a line in endodontics and say, yeah, these really resorbed cases and stuff that don't go well or whatever, and I'm happy to to to, to recommend extraction if it's if it's not going to give the patient good longevity for sure. But in general dentistry, that line is in different areas depending on the practitioner that you are. And that's that's super challenging as a general dentist. So I think probably stress level, I would say general dentistry was far harder uh, because of your lack of experience in certain areas and not knowing whether you can do things. You know, like one of the things I used to find challenging was extractions on third molar teeth. And sometimes you'd take the teeth out and go, yeah, I'm really good. And the next week you wouldn't. <laughs> it would be like, it's really hard. And yeah. You wouldn't know that. You wouldn't have enough cases like that to work out what you can do. As an endodontist, you do have a catalog of cases in the last 10 years where I've done things and I know that works well or that doesn't work well. It's, and that's that mm -hmm. catalog of cases in your head that really builds the line that you draw on cases and, and, and that will reduce your stress if you can draw lines and go, yeah, I can't do these cases or these cases are okay or they're not okay. It really helps you to avoid stress. Yeah, I suppose with general dentistry, you're juggling more things. There's different areas, whereas with endo, although it's challenging, it's sort of one discipline. So the cases you treat are going to be somewhat similar in some ways. Could you just tell us a little bit about how you got started on social media and what your experience has been? So basically a long time ago I was sitting at the beach in Australia and I thought I'm working in Crow's Nest. I doubt there's anyone who knows that I actually work there. 
uh, you know, there's not that many endodontists in Sydney and there's lots of people who, and there's lots of waiting time and there's lots of busy practitioners here, but I guarantee there's not anyone who knows that I work in crow's nest. So I started up this page called Specialist Endo Crow's Nest Clinical Hacks on Facebook. And what happened was I started posting up ideas, concepts, anything that came up that day. And, uh, my friends from university were the first ones to like it and say, Oh, this is pretty useful. And, and all of a sudden I just realized that this was a good way of like almost note taking for yourself and ideas about what you were, you were doing at the time or questions that students may have asked me, um, answering them on an online platform. So this really grew from there, I guess. And then now there's the Instagram page at specialist endo and, and, and things like this, but, um, it's really became a really good way of, uh, helping dentists in all parts of the world, which I've really enjoyed, you know, because you basically the, a lot of people that I talk to say, Oh, I couldn't do that because it's too difficult. All my cases had to be really good. And actually it's not about that. It's all about just coming up with an idea that you found difficult to understand uh, or, or complications and cases, or like you can guarantee if, if I made a mistake in a case or couldn't work out something like, you know, what's, what's going on when you perforate a tooth and why is that bad? Um, something like that, something as simple as that, or we used to talk about in the staff room and these practices, and that's why I like this NHS practice I worked and had lots of dentists. We used to talk about things at lunchtime, like well, if you get halfway down the canal, it doesn't, and sometimes you, you get a successful result of a root canal treatment for 10 years and you take the uh, radiograph, you know, and the, and the tooth's still asymptomatic and it's, it's fine. Why is that versus you get to the apex on a case with an apical lesion and it hasn't, and, it, and this patient's still got problems and active disease. So th these kind of questions came up at lunchtime and I thought it's a good, a good way to try and answer these questions. And that, then people came, came on board with it. They gave their opinion. I learned something from that opinion. And it really became a way of just bouncing off these concepts. Uh, and lots of dentists all over the world have lots of uh, different ideas. But what it really makes you realize that there's this sort of an international language of dentistry that we all speaking in different parts of the world. It's kind of fun because it's a bit like football. It's like a simple thing, isn't it? You've got a football. But I, mean, I used to play in Hyde Park in London and these guys from all over the world, Italian people, Arabic people used to come and join our, join our game. And we didn't speak the same language quite often, but we had this language of football that everyone could play and at different levels. It's the same with dentistry. We're all operating at, different standards, different levels of graduation experience, but we've all got our idea of what we want to talk about, or we've got things that people said, and um, they add to this when we have a discussion, so I find that quite fun. talk a little bit about what root canal treatment actually involves so for patients because obviously it's quite a complex treatment it's, it's uh, technically quite challenging as well but for patients what, what does root canal treatment actually involve? So root canal treatment is actually where the bacteria from the oral cavity have managed to find their way into the root canals and they can do this through caries, decay, uh, cracks, uh, just defects in general um, so once the bacteria have made their way into the root canals, there is a, an inflammatory reaction that occurs uh, inside the tooth called pulpitis. Uh, this can be painful or actually not painful, depending on the level of bacteria and the inflammatory response and the size of the pulp and all these sort of things. Uh, then that's over when, if the, the 
caries or the crack persists, then you end up with what's called uh, necrosis, obviously, and the pulp is overcome and the bacteria use the pulp as food supply. And then the level of bacteria builds and builds and builds and the species probably change. In fact, they do change uh, over time, much, much like they do in any dental uh, disease. And the more gram-negative bacteria and uh, level of the species and the, and the numbers of bacteria build, creating uh, different types of endotoxins or toxins leaving the tooth. And then this is what creates inflammation in the periapical tissues. So in some cases, patients may have no pain for a very long time if the level of bacteria is moderate or the species are probably not the ones that cause the pain. Uh, Gram-negative uh, lipopolysaccharides are implicated in pain. So if you have low levels of those, you probably have some sort of low-grade inflammation, which the patients know about. Of course, on the x-ray, you'll see bone loss and inflammation, but uh, the patient won't have uh, pain necessarily. I often say to patients, um, you know, you've got an apical lesion that looks like it's been grumbling away for years or months or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's basically managing the problem at a low level around the localized area. As I say, it's a bit like working for a big company. Let's say you work for Apple or something like that. You make a small error at your desk. Do you go to the CEO and tell him there's a problem? You've made an error. You don't go to the CEO of Apple and say, sorry, mate, I've made a mistake. You manage it locally at your desk and you might get some of your friends and say, can we sort this out? And usually it's resolved. And this is what your body is doing. Essentially, it's it's coping with it at a localized level around the end of the root, and it hasn't told the boss. If the filling then dislodges and there's a rush of saliva, bacteria, and everything into the root canals to feed those bacteria, the, in, the increase in numbers of bacteria and the toxins leaving the tooth, it's probably the species that, that you'll get, uh, really makes the makes the brain aware and that's what pain is essentially isn't it it's, it's it's telling the brain this is a panic button of our body is to say you're in pain so when patients come to me and say i'm not in pain yet i say yeah but this is the stage we're not supposed to get to we're not supposed to get to the pain stage that's the ceo which is your brain being told there's a problem this is not what we want to get to we want to cut this problem off or stop this problem before it gets to that level so this is this is the link between pain and uh, and uh, endodontic disease is not uh, that many teeth with apical lesions that give pain. We see them when they are in pain, but uh, in reality, there's lots of patients wandering around with asymptomatic apical periodontitis that have had root canal treatments or not had root canal treatments done. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's with most of the um, disease, dental disease that we have, this is often something that people are quite surprised to hear that you don't necessarily get pain, whether it's you know periodontal disease or even decay tooth decay at early stages mm. and now obviously infected root canal system you don't necessarily get pain especially at you know certain stages of it so that's interesting to know i suspect the level of um the bacterial species play a role in that pain uh you know we've got commensal bacteria causing um caries uh they're in they're in different numbers to to health obviously and same with root canal disease we have commensal organisms inside the root canals. These root canals, uh, bacteria can be found in these saliva samples, but um, in different, different numbers. Uh, so treating it, yes, we clean out the root canals, obviously, and disinfect them and remove the bacteria. It's essentially, I say to patients, it's a bit like washing your hands. Like we're washing the root canals out. We don't sterilize our hands when we wash them, but we make them clean. And then we try to fill the root canals once they're cleaned so that we preserve that environment. M much like cleaning out your room in your house and closing the door. So 
this is my new concept I've got to, which I guess has uh, been around for a long time. And I've started talking about closing the door, which is restoring the tooth. So you, you clean out the root canal and you disinfect it. Then we obviously medicate it or, or fill it, um, fill it up with gutta perca, and then we, then we have to close the restoration off. And that's essentially preserving that clean environment for eternity until the tooth breaks or the filling is dislodged or more caries happens. And, and you see a lot of root canal treated teeth that have been cleaned out, not that well filled, but the seal has been good and they, get, keep, they can really uh, be without apical periodontitis or symptoms. And, and again, it comes back to that whole uh, level of bacteria and type of bacteria. If it's frozen at that level of bacteria, the symptoms will probably never happen. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it's qu- quite important for people to know that although you know the the crown or whatever type of restoration mm. that we put on the tooth after root canal treatment, it is as you very rightly said, is to seal off the tooth so that no bacteria can get in. But also, when we do a root canal treatment, it kind of changes the chemistry of the tooth and it becomes a bit more brittle, so it's more likely to break. So that that restoration, that crown, is going to stop it from breaking as well. So that's quite important because there has been a few sort of root canal treated teeth that have crumbled when they haven't had the restoration. So that's very important as well. Um, mm. Can we talk a little bit about why antibiotics don't work when there is an infected root canal system? Because I've had a lot of patients who, you know, they said, okay, if there is an infection, why can't we just treat it with antibiotics? Yeah, this is a, this is a favorite of patients to talk about this. And often my response as well, if I'd done nine, nine years at university and prescribed you some tablets and the problem had gone away, I would have wasted my time at King's college, which, I spent many, many years doing a thesis and stuff. But anyway, um, yes, but that's my sort of sarcastic remark. But what actually, uh, what actually it is is related to a few things. First of all, there's a biofilm in the root canals. Uh, so, and so once you have a biofilm attached to root canals, essentially that's plaque uh, inside a root canal. Uh, throwing some antibiotics on top of that, if, if you were able to, won't do that much. Also, the other problem is that the um, blood supply in the tooth is often not present. And and if it is, it's very limited because the bacteria have destroyed the pulp and caused necrosis. Uh, So what this means is essentially that there's no way of getting the antibiotics to the root canal anyway. And um, another problem is that basically... uh, the um, problem is inside inside the root canals and and, and and the bacteria are kind of hidden away from all antibiotics and and, and realistically the this, the the reason why you have the problem is you have a defect or a risk or something happening coronally and if that isn't dealt with again antibiotics can't go and fix the problem up uh, that you take orally so if you have a leaking restoration, for example, and the patient develops an apical periodontitis, it will it will help possibly kill off the infection if it's spreading uh, to other areas and it's outside of the root canals significantly. But if you've just got a little bit of irritation uh, and the bacteria largely inside the root canals, there's a there's a defect there that's allowing the bacteria to to get into your tooth. And if you don't sort sort that out, antibiotics really don't help. Where the antibiotics can help uh, in rare circumstances is immunocompromised patients with spreading infection and malaise and things like that. So if it, it, most of the time, 
bacteria inside the root canal and the inflammation's outside the root canal. And that's how it works. But if you've got uh, abscess flare-ups and things like that, they antibiotics will certainly help. But they, I always say to the people, you should never, if you're going to choose antibiotics to prescribe to a patient, say, say immunosuppressed patient comes in, they've got facial swelling, I'm going to prescribe antibiotics, but I should, you should never use it as a monotherapy. You should never use it solely. You should always incise and drain and prescribe antibiotics if you need to. Sometimes you may not even need to prescribe antibiotics if you've done the incise and drain. Um, but if the patient's immunocompromised and they've got facial swelling, I probably would. Um, uh, if the person's immunocompetent, then I probably would be resistant to prescribing antibiotics if I was able to achieve some drainage. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to know that it's such a localized reaction and such a localized infection inside the tooth that antibiotics really aren't going to get to that. Um, the only the only circumstances we would use them is to sort of uh, relieve any systemic complications. If there's a big facial swelling, abscess, that may help until we can get to the root canal system. But like you said, we will never use it on its own. Can we talk a bit about the root cause documentary? Because I know a lot of people would have watched this, and there's a lot of probably false information being spread by that documentary. I personally didn't even get around to watching it, but I heard a lot about <laughs> it. And I know Netflix has removed it since, so I can't watch it anyway. But can we just talk a little bit about the documentary and, and what it represented? So this is the documentary that was basically linking root canal. Uh, it, the, way, the way it was uh, sold in the documentary wasn't very good either. I mean, like even if it's trying to prove something, it wasn't well put. So basically they, the people in the documentary were saying that the character in, in the show, um, he was punched, he needed root canal treatment. Uh, he had all these problems after he'd had root canal treatment, including uh, male impotence, uh, you know, uh, depression, uh, fatigue, chronic fatigue-like symptoms. So, so um, the show followed him through the whole thing and, and basically when he got his tooth taken out, everything got better. It, it, it wasn't well, as I said, it wasn't well sold in the sense that it sort of started with this concept and then it linked root canal disease to a whole lot of things that weren't actually in the show, like heart disease. And So basically, the, the, it's called the focal infection theory. And the theory is that the root canals have bacteria inside them. The bacteria can't be walled off and they cause uh, problems in other parts of the body by floating off somewhere. Look, there's a whole lot of research on this and nothing has come up with any... Uh, conclusions that it does that and um, generally the, there's a couple of things to look at with regards to the show they talked about things like inflammation still being present and cone beam scans but if there's inflammation present on a cone beam scan and and on radiographs uh, obviously the level of activity is important but also is like if it's healing like it's, it's healing and if it's active then the patient's got active disease we're trying to treat this as specialists we want to treat this inflammation anyway so if there is inflammation that's active and to be treated we we were all up for that <laughs> so it kind of was a bit strange but basically what they're saying is they're using a, a 1920 theory uh, western price came up with this theory in 1920s linking root canals to all sorts of disease but the thing you've got to remember is that there was no answer or there was no science behind heart disease uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis lupus you name it there was every disorder that we have today and there was no science or understanding. I mean, it was, wasn't until 1965 
which we discovered root canal disease was caused by bacteria. So you can imagine in 1920, heart disease, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, there would have been a concept, I'm sure I wasn't living in the 1920s, but there was a concept for every disease. And this just happens to be one of those concepts that somebody's plucked out and gone, yep, keep that concept going. But realistically, there's not any evidence for it, but also there's, there's a lot of evidence that taking out teeth is also seriously bad for your health uh, in the sense that you lose uh, chewing, you, you know, masticative forces, you have self-esteem issues if you're using, losing your front teeth. You have, there's a lot of psychological issues from losing teeth. So we have good evidence on loss of teeth being a factor in your health. We have not, almost none of, if any, evidence of it of being harmful. Um, the whole thing is, is very, uh, well, put it this way, it's, it's thinking with a 1920s uh, concept about a 2020 <laughs> situation. I mean, you can imagine what the root canal treatments were like in 1920. I mean, when I graduated in 1997, we were using hand files. No, no irrigation was getting near the apex because we were using hand files. We had to pump it down, all sorts of things. Now we've got, so, it's so different. It's like using, it's, it's just a totally different world. I mean, as I said, 1965, we found bacteria caused root canal disease. Were these root canal treatments even done with hypochlorite dam and all these things we do? They wouldn't have been done because no one knew what bac the bacteria caused the disease and that they wouldn't have the appropriate um, medicaments and irrigants we have now because there was no known cause of root canal disease at that stage. So if we look at things with the 1920s mind, we will, we will not right, have the right idea and the right care for our patients in 2020. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and maybe even picked up a few points. Just remember that with any dental disease, you don't necessarily experience pain. So the absence of pain does not mean that the mouth is healthy. As always, I would love to know what you thought of this episode, so please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Dr. Shadi Manicherry. There will be a new episode every week, so please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to never miss an episode, and I can't wait to speak to you soon. Bye.